0: Hello everyone and welcome to our monthly podcast entitled, Is That Good News or Bad News? It is the 13th of March. My name is Lorna Denny and I'm joined today by Naal McDonnell and from Hong Kong, Thomas Vogel. February proved disappointing for markets as stronger economic data crushed expectations of falling inflation and an early pivot in interest rates. Central bank rhetoric has become more hawkish and forecasts now predict higher terminal interest rates. Sometimes good news on growth is seen as bad news by markets. Today, we discuss the prospects for more buoyant Western economies boosted by the reopening of China. We also review our tactical asset allocation in response to what remains an uncertain outlook. Niall, if you could please set the scene for markets so far this year.
1: Good morning, Lorna. Yes, well markets, both bond and equity, began the year surprisingly strong. So European equities up close to 10%, US up close to 6 and emerging markets not far behind. Yields also fell, pushing up bond prices, as market participants began to price in a Fed pivot in the second half of this year. This was on the belief that the rate hikes were working, cooling off the economy, and that the Fed would have to cut rates to stimulate growth. However, in February, we saw a reversal of this trend. Now, the jobs market has been exceptionally resilient. Inflation has been somewhat stickier than originally thought, and the service industry is seeing some strong growth. So the services ISM, for example, is at 55, so still in expansionary territory. This has led to increasingly hawkish rhetoric from across the globe from central bankers. Jay Powell's comments last week have caused concern as he's outlined that he may need to return to bigger rate increases and that rates will likely have to stay higher for longer. This has caused some volatility in bond markets but not as much as you would have thought. So longer term interest rates haven't remained quite anchored and the yield curve is still deeply inverted. So the famous recession predictor with six months interest rates higher than longer data bonds. However looking at our screens this morning it's quite the different picture than the start of last week with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Government bond markets have rallied strongly with investors buying into safe haven assets.
0: Yes, quite a reversal, as you say, for what is hopefully an idiosyncratic event, but we will watch that with interest. But you mentioned inflation, described recently as a monster by the president of the European Central Bank. When can we hope to see a genuine improvement in these inflation data?
1: Well, we are seeing tentative signs that inflation is or close to peaking. So energy prices have been falling. So this will dampen inflationary pressures. Supply chains are back to normal. So the price of transporting a 40 feet container from China to the US West Coast has declined from $20,000 in September 21 to $1,382 today. And third, wage inflation across the income distribution is rolling over. However, inflation is sticky and I think anybody that is looking to buy a car, renovate their house or even go to a restaurant is constantly hearing that prices are only going up. So typically monetary policy has a 12 to 18 month lag in the real economy. So given that interest rates hikes really began in earnest midway through last year, we would expect the second half of this year to see a meaningful fall in inflation. It's likely not going to be a smooth ride though and upside surprises could engender market volatility or even more hawkish moves by central banks.
0: And if this is not the peak in inflation, then it seems the pivot in interest rate is being pushed further and further into the future. When would you expect greater clarity on when that pivot might be?
1: Well, looking at interest rate futures at the beginning of this year, this pivot was priced to happen in the second half of this year. In our view, the market was getting a little bit ahead of itself. And this is now adjusted to remove these and is more broadly in line with the projections we are hearing from central banks, that being higher for longer. So we're expecting to see a terminal rate of about 5.25 or 5.5 in the US. And that is likely to be held there for a number of months. So worth noting that this is the highest level since the great financial crisis. But we really need to see declining data in the macro side and in the broader economy to get a pivot and a move to monetary easing.
0: Let's turn then to China, the second biggest economy in the world. The economy is reopening after almost three years of Covid lockdowns and the economic rebound appears to be happening at an impressive pace. As an example, Thomas, we saw strong PMI data for last month.
2: Hi, Lona. Yes, indeed. The numbers were strong. China's manufacturing PMI rose 2.5 points month over month to 52.6, which is the highest level since April 2012. Also, the NBS non-manufacturing PMI beat estimates. The Caixin Manufacturing and Services PMIs, which are more focused on smaller companies, also delivered very strong results. High-frequency macro and industry data also show clear signs of activity normalization In the important National People's Congress one week ago, the government set the growth target for 2023 at, quote, around 5%. This is seen by some as underwhelming as it is the lowest target ever. Others see the 5% rather as a floor and that the government set an easier to beat target after the miss last year.
0: And would you also expect policy support as an additional boost to the economy?
2: Yes, in the mentioned high-level meetings last week, the government reiterated supporting domestic consumption, job creation, and attracting foreign investment as one of the top priorities. They also reconfirmed a more pragmatic policy stance towards real estate and internet platforms. China sees the need to stabilize economic growth in the near term while avoiding excessive stimulus. Consumption and investment, mainly infrastructure and projects for shoring up areas of weakness, are key to achieve the growth target. Thus, to achieve this year targets, there will need to be ongoing policy support from the fiscal side as well as from monetary policy if needed.
0: And what are the knock-on effects from a rebounding China on neighbouring economies and even those further afield such as Europe?
2: Yeah, as discussed, China is delivering a strong economic recovery on its reopening, which should bring some positive spillovers to the rest of Asia. The return of Chinese tourists to the Asian region and the unwinding of pent-up savings will serve as a positive tailwind for economies such as Hong Kong and Thailand. Hong Kong and Singapore have the highest exposure to China's final demand. China's recovery can also benefit commodity exporting economies such as Malaysia, Indonesia and Australia. In other economies such as Japan and Korea, although tourism only makes up a small proportion of GDP, nonetheless, spending by Chinese tourists will be important in propping up demand for services in these economies. In Europe, the manufacturing or material sector is positively exposed to rebounding demand from China. Also, some luxury goods companies in Europe already reacted quite positively to the reopening in
0: China. Clearly, then, we have evidence of a positive dynamic from China. On the other hand, the U.S. Fed has been attempting to squeeze the U.S. economy to drive inflation out of the system, even at the expense of a recession. Of course, if growth proves resilient and there is no slowdown, interest rates could indeed move higher and remain higher for longer, as Niall said. What will be the impact of these evolving expectations on the government bond markets going forwards then, Niall?
1: Markets are still nervous about inflation and the possibility of an even higher terminal rate than currently projected. I think that, though, for U.S. Treasuries, the worst of the volatility is over. And even with Powell's comments last week, we didn't see longer data bonds move much and rates are actually still lower in the longer end from the beginning of the year. What is worrying, though, is that for the likes of the high yield market, which typically trades at a 5% over Treasuries, if we get to a terminal rate of 6%, then we have a high yield index would be at 11%. I think that would be a serious problem for that asset class. And I don't know how many companies could function at those high levels.
0: And a final thought on the US, please, Niall. Is it possible we have yet to see the full impact of aggressive Fed tightening on the economy? Is a recession still possible or even perhaps still necessary?
1: I think that the chances of a soft landing in the U.S. have increased, but the most likely scenario is some form of shallow recession. Demand has been strong as the service industry continues to be benefiting from consumers looking to spend savings on experiences after the pandemic. However, manufacturing is in contractory territory and the excess savings from COVID can't last forever. I think we will likely see the impacts from the aggressive monetary tightening in the second half of this year.
0: We've spoken about inflation in the US economy. Conversely, it is not a problem for the Chinese economy. But inflation elsewhere might rein in growth for China's major trading partners, Thomas.
2: Indeed, China's reopening from its strict COVID restrictions should be an inflationary process. But after stronger January CPI numbers, the February CPI number was with plus 1% way below the estimate of plus 1.9%. Nevertheless, prices are still likely to rise in coming months. But it is also clear that the dynamics which produced big inflation shocks as the US and other developed economies reopened are much weaker in China. The risk of Chinese inflation becoming uncomfortably high, for example by significantly exceeding the official target of 3% annual CPI growth is low. The rebound will also mainly be a domestic story for China. It will be focused on domestic consumption, on investment in strategically important areas and to a lesser extent on infrastructure. Having said that, potential recessions in some of the developed markets could lead to a sharp contraction in external demand. Highly likely exports can't and won't be the driver of China's growth this year.
0: That's very helpful. Given these uncertain times then, Neil, what adjustments have we made to our tactical asset allocation?
1: Well, we're still underweight European government bonds as we believe that the ECB is behind the curve in its rate hiking cycle. We are moderate overweight investment grade bonds and emerging market debt as we believe that there are attractive yields on these asset classes. And lastly, we remain neutral in equities, but within equities, we maintain an overweight to Asia ex-Japan and emerging markets. Following the loosening of China's zero COVID policy and the reopening of the economy, we continue to favour the region as the view that economic activity will continue to increase and the region is likely to benefit from a period of relative outperformance. We maintain our moderate underweight in US equities, given a significant valuation premium relative to other global markets and the inherent growth bias of the S&P 500, which may weigh in a continued environment of elevated inflation and higher bond yields.
0: Thank you both very much indeed.
1: Thank you, Lorna. Thank you,
0: Lorna.